Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Um, welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast and the Class today is sponsored by Desiree and Ella Dror in celebration of the birth of their son, Mazaltov. Congratulations. Fikni, enough. Chalas, come back home. We need you back here for the, uh, for the minyan, for the synagogue. Enough. He went there. Mishanem, Akom, Mishanem, Mazal. He had a baby. Chalas, come back home. Uh, God bless you and your wife. Be'ezrat Hashem, the Oledet should have a, make a complete recovery, and you should celebrate the birth of many children and happiest and health of many generations to come. Breakfast in the Class, sponsored also by Gavin Ismael, in celebration of his grandmother's birthday, uh, Mazal Tov Grandma. As well, the week of Cobra was dedicated loving memory of Sammy Syed, Alava Shalom, Leilun Ishmach Shalom Ben Rivka, sponsored by his son, uh, our very own Chazan, Isaac Syed. Okay. Uh, Rabotai, I'd love to uh, take one, one last opportunity to take a crack at the little small aleph in the beginning of our parasha. We've discussed extensively uh, in different in various guises and forms the incredible limud, the incredible learning opportunity that we have from the small aleph. And it is the Baal Turim over there that says that the reason why the aleph is small is because Vayikra was a term of endearment. And Moshe did not want to write a term of endearment for himself. He wanted it to seem as if God reaching out to him was something that was uh, uh, not such a big deal. Instead, he wanted to write it without the aleph. Okay? What would without the aleph, how would it have read? It would have read Vayikir. Okay? What does Vayikir mean? Rashi says, Lashon Mikre Ukeri. Like Hashem happened to call on him. Like, you know, he didn't really know who to make a Navi. You know, Hashem was like, you know what, who's in the desert now? Happened to be Moshe. Hashem was like, okay, give him the burning bush signal. Right? And then, and then Moshe became chosen. But Moshe wanted to make it seem as if it wasn't something special about him. It just happened to be that he was chosen. Exactly the same way it says by Bil'am Rasha that God, Vayikir, that God appeared to Bil'am. And as well, we say over there that it was Lashon Mikre. Why did God choose Bil'am to be a nation amongst, uh, a prophet amongst the nations? The reason is, as the Gemara explains, so that the nations of the world, at the end of time, when God says, why did everyone act the way that they did? Let me give you re the reward uh, to the Jewish people fulfilling the mitzvot. The nations of the world would say, it's not fair. You gave them a prophet. That's why they were so good. If we would have had a prophet like Moshe, we also would have been as good and as committed to you and to your religion as the Jewish people were. Hashem says, okay, I'm going to give you a prophet as big as Moshe. And God gave them Bil'am. By the way, those words, when I, every time I read them, I get goosebumps. That means that Bil'am was as big as Moshe. What was Bil'am? The worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. He was a cursing gun for hire. You could pay him to destroy not just people, but if you paid him enough, he would become a murderous weapon in your hands for genocide. That's Bilam Arashah. Bilam Arashah is, is a man, the Gemara tells us, who sleeps with his own donkey. This is a person who had the power to be as big as Moshe. And it teaches you, it teaches you, and it teaches me that when a person looks at their own life and they think, I'm nothing special, how do you know? Maybe you really like Moshe Rabbeinu. Unbelievable, that idea, okay? But let's carry on. So Moshe Rabbeinu did not want to write the letter Aleph. He wanted to write Vayikir, which would have indicated that it was a happenstance and Moshe was not that great. Asks Rav Shach, hold up, I don't understand. You know, we learn from every single letter in the Torah, we have tremendous lessons that we learn, even from the little crowns on the letters, right? So if we would have written Vayikra with a full Aleph, the way it was supposed to, 
One, it stands to reason that we would have learned certain lessons from the Aleph being there. Take the Aleph out, or even make the Aleph smaller, and the lessons you learn from that letter now change. Why was Moshe not worried that by removing the Aleph, that would have caused us to lose whatever le- lessons we would have learned from the word letter Aleph in the Vayikra? Isn't that a beautiful question from Rav Shach? And the answer, uh, my friends, is blowing in the wind. And the answer is magnificent. Moshe understood that. That there were lessons that would be lost. By the way, I always say this. If Moshe would have taken out the Aleph, how would we have read the word Vayikra without the Aleph? Huh? Vayikar. Vayikar. I always say no. All he would have done was put a patah under the resh. Read Vayikar, Vav Yud Kufresh, with a patah under the resh. Vayik. Ra. It's the same word. Moshe wanted, it would still retain the same word in terms of audio. That's called the Kriketiv. So I thought that maybe that's what was Moshe's plan, that the word sounds exactly the same, even if it's not written the same. Okay? Now, even though having said that, still there would have been different letters, different lessons. Moshe explained, or the the Rav Shach explained, that Moshe weighed that up. And he said, that's true. But what lesson is a greater lesson for us to learn than the lesson of humility? So yes, it's true. There will be lessons lost, but there will be a lesson gained. And if you were to weigh up the lesson of humility of Moshe Rabbeinu, cutting that out to show that a person should not be, then that would be greater. And yet, what do we see? We see that God disagreed. And God said, no. So Moshe's idea that humility is the greatest lesson is actually not true. There's a lesson that was greater. What would we have learned without the Aleph? And I saw something magnificent brought down in the name of the Sefer Hasevi Vehasedek. Now, that I feel like a special affinity to a book called Hasevi Vehasedek because I grew up in Hathaway Synagogue. And until they changed the name, the name was Svila Tzadik. Right? So that's the book, Svila Tzadik. But I, I kind of feel like it's a, to say this book, Svila Tzadik, to mention Rabbi, Rabbi Rosenfeld, Allah Shalom, you know, Svila Sadiq, but to also be in Edmund J. Safar, which is the new name, is kind of of that synagogue as well. So it's kind of a bit of a, close, a closing of the circle. He says a magnificent answer, Hasviva Sadiq. He says, absolutely true, but there's a greater lesson than being humble. And what is that lesson? He says, if you would have written Vav Yud Kufresh, what was Moshe's intent to illustrate that, you know what, God happened to pick me? There's an incredible danger in that word, happened to. Because in Judaism we believe, and it's one of the fundamentals of our belief, in the concept of hashkacha peratit, that things don't happen to happen. They happen specifically. They're designed in that way. And Borei Olam is running this world with such a detailed and a specific and a nuanced way where everything is being done in exactly the way, in exactly the time, in exactly the place that when a person is experiencing that, and then you read these words, Vayiker, oh, and I'm happy to pick Moshe. That was something that was more dangerous than humility. And I started to think about this, because really, humility is one of the very first lessons that we learn about in the Torah. It's a very important lesson. So why does this lesson trump humility? And I think the answer is, because 
in the humility you have a lot of different midot. Correct? A person's humble, they don't get as angry. If a person's humble, they don't get jealous that they feel like everything belongs to them, that they need to have everything. So a lot of mitzvot are kilulot, they're included in the, in the midah of anava. Like Ramban writes uh, uh, in his letter to his son, you know, he talks about the importance of anava, okay, of uh, how it's the, the crown, so to speak, of all the midot, all right? Now, that's true. So many things are included in anava. But what's included in emunah? In emunah is anava. So it's kind of like the Russian dolls, right, where each one, so it's true that humility carries so many things with it, but emunah, also true emunah, is the most humbling feeling in the world when you recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is up there, like we say in the tefillah every morning, El Elyon. What does it mean, El Elyon? A God on high. So the literal translation means that God is very high. But God is also very low. He, God is also, God is everywhere. He's in the valley of the shadow of death. And he's in the Shmei Shamayim, in the highest heavens. So what does it mean, El Elyon? And the rabbis interpret those words, El Elyon, a God on high, that he is sovev kol asibot. He arranges all the reasons, all uh, the ideas, why things have to happen in certain ways. And that concept of God on high is supposed to give you the idea of HaKadosh Baruch Hu looking out from a watchtower. The higher you go, what happens? Why do we, if you want someone to be, take a look out, you give them a very high post. Why? Because from that perspective, they could see the whole shetach, the topography, the geography. They could see the armies coming. They could see the dangers. They could see a tsunami. So El Elyon means that with God's sight, with His ability to see past, present, future, simultaneously, where you're going to go, what's going to happen to you, what will happen to your children, all these different things. A lot of times a person sees things in a very short-sighted way. They think to themselves, you know what, I can move to this place even though... You know, there's no Torah. I could, uh, you know, take this job, even though it's a little bit dangerous, people get sucked in and it kind of chews them up and churns them out. You know, I could do it. I'm, I'm strong enough. And you know what? You might be right. But sometimes you're not realizing that if that's the job that you take, a lot of times the job that a father takes becomes the job that their son takes. Does your son have the same temperament? So sometimes we're not recognizing, we're not cognizant, excuse me, of, of things that are far off in the future. That's El Elyon. According to that, my friends, we now come back to this. God said, I get your lessons, I love it. But if it's going to cost me that someone should say, Vayike, the word in the Torah that it happened to be, can't be. The question that you have to ask is, Hazak Ubaruch. You took out the word Vayike here. But there's another one. There's another one. There's a Vayike that we said where? By Bil'am, by Bil'am there's that word. We find that that word is used. And the answer to that is something which I have to tell you is very frightening. The Sefer Shomer Munim, they say it as well in the name of the Baal Shem Tob. They say the Pasuk, Hashem Shomrecha, God guards you, protects you. Hashem Tzilecha, God is your shadow. Al Yad on your right hand. Says the Baal Shem Tov. If I hold up my arm, what happens is a shadow behind my arm like this. Put my arm down, the shadow straightens the arm. Could you sketch out your shadow? No. Could you move faster than your shadow? Also not. Happens at the speed of light, instantaneously, right? Pretty much. God is your shadow. The way that you act, 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu acts in parallel to you. He responds to you. Now, that is a fascinating concept, this idea. Why? Let's try and understand what that means. And I'm going to quote to you the words of the Vilna Gaon and as well the words of the Chovot HaLevavot in Sha'a Bitachon. He says that when a person looks at God and says about God that he's not involved, their life and their thoughts and their actions cut God out of their life because you know what, Hashem's not really here. I can't really see him. He's not really involved. You know what? I could go to shul or I could play tennis. You know, I don't even know if this is, you know, I don't even know if he exists. The, the proportion with which a person engages with God, with emunah, that's how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu illustrates to him and shows him that he is following and protecting him with Hashgacha Peratit. But when a person, and the words go, <clears throat> when a person, uh, when a person removes his bitachon in God, God in heaven, also, God takes away his hashgacha peratit. You don't believe in hashgacha peratit? I'm taking it away. Now, it's fascinating because there's a term that we use in medicine and in psychology. It's called psychosomatic. Anyone know what that means? You think you're going to be sick, so you get sick. You think that you're weaker today, so you're weaker. You can't lift the suitcases. The way you think, that's what happens, and that plays out in your life. It's ironic that on some level, emunah is psychosomatic. Not because it's fake and if you believe in it, you'll see it. But actually, because you believe, if you believe in it, it actually happens. Bore olam responds in kind. If that's the case, we understand why. When it says vayiker by Bil'am, it's not a problem. Because Bil'am, the umot olam, that's not their relationship with God. They don't have that emunah, they don't have that bitachon, so therefore it is, it's happenstance when a person, so to speak, interacts with God on that level. I wanted to just share one example of this concept of Hashgacha Pirati. There was a young man who was an expert in, um, in, uh, in diktukim, in checking and uh, editing books uh, in the library to find the most uh, accurate representation of the nusach in those books. So to do so, he would go to the libraries and he would sit there for hours comparing the manuscripts that they had on the shelves, the seven different types of Rambam that they had to see which nusach, which, uh, uh, which expressions were the correct ones or were the most accepted ones, okay? And this was his job. Anyway, because he would sit there for long hours engaged in scholarly pursuit in the, ma in the massive libraries in, is in Israel, the guy used to bring, sometimes he would bring lunch with him. He's going to sit there all day. He'd bring lunch with him. Anyway, one day he's sitting there looking through all the books and he starts eating his lunch. He's sitting there looking, he's making his notes, he finishes his lunch. He starts doing Berkat Amazon. But he's doing Berkat Amazon out loud because the halakha is a person just like Amidah, your ears need to hear the words that you're saying. So he's doing the Berkat Amazon. I don't know how, if this is true or not in terms of if I'm making this part of the story up, but I'm imagining that a guy like that's singing the Berkat Amazon quietly to himself. As he's singing Berkat Amazon, right? The secular, irreligious librarian comes up. She's wearing short sleeves, you know, long pants, open, this, that. She's not religious, right? But she walks up to him, she says, 
Where did you get that where did you get that nusach from? Loni kashel leolam vaed. You said Loni kashel leolam vaed. I never heard that. I heard it, the song, but I don't get the second part. I got that in the prayers, but not in the Birkat Amazon. She says, I never heard that before. Where's that from? He says, you know what? I, I know, I don't know. I'm not, I, see, you're, you're right. It's not in the Sidur I'm using. But that was what my father always used to say. And I'll double check. I'll let you know. Anyway, the guy finishes. He gets in the car to go home, and he's thinking on the way home. Ma'ala vilazeh. She's telling, she's asking me this question. You know, she's not a religious girl. She's coming to me to ask me exactly which expression I used in the, the syntax, the liturgy. Come on. What? Anyway, he finds it very weird. He goes home, forgets about it. A little while later, all of a sudden, he's doing Birkat Amazon. He thinks to himself, oh my gosh. Whether she's secular, whether she's religious, whether it's weird, whether it's not, I told her, I'm going to check it out and I'm going to let her know. So he starts going through the Sidurim in his house and he can't find a single Sidur that has the Nusach of his family of Veloni Kasheh Le'olam Va'ed. Now I'm imagining this guy was Ashkenaz because we have it in our Begat Amazon as well, right? But he, I guess all the books he had at home, he didn't have it. So he, he, he started making a point of when he went to shul to look in different Sidurim until finally he found a Sidur, maybe a Syrian one, maybe a different one that had it. He, take, he asks the Gabai, he says, look, the Sidur is an old Sidur. You know, can I have the Sidur? Is that all right? The guy says, look, you know, it's ripped. We're going to anyway put it in Guinea. No problem. Keep the Sidur. The guy says, thank you very much. Takes it home. Takes a red pen. Surrounds the word. Puts a little book, uh, what's it called? A, uh, a bookmark in the book like this. Yeah. And uh, goes to the library, drops it off for this girl. And says, please bring it to this the librarian that was here. There was a woman. Does she still work here? She still does. Yeah, okay, leave it for her. This is my name, my address. Uh, thank you very much. Goes home. Doesn't hear anything about it. Oh, uh, a year, I don't know how long goes by. And one day arrives in the mail a, uh, an invitation to a wedding with his name on it. Not his wife's name, just his name. And he thinks that's a little weird. Right? It also doesn't say Rabbi, Sir, Mr. Adon. It just has his name, as is. He opens up the invitation. He doesn't recognize either name, but it's clear that it's directed to him. It has his personal name on it, his address, everything. He goes to this wedding blind, has no idea why he's going to the wedding, but he figures if they gave him an invitation and they invited him to stay for the dinner, you know, he's going to, you know. He turns up, he's looking around, he doesn't recognize one person in this wedding. Okay, so he figures, all right, I'll say Mabruk, Mazatov. So he says Mazatov to the family, to anyone that, he, that could be the Hatan, probably every page boy. He said Mabruk to, just in case it was the Hatan. And he's about to go home. Someone comes up to him and they say, excuse me, is this your name, uh, David, uh, whatever? The guy says, yeah, it is. He says, oh, thank God. I'm so happy you came. You're going to make her night. The guy says, well, who's night? He says, come. I want to introduce you. He comes, brings it to the kala. The kala says, thank you so much for coming. I so appreciate it. He's like, Mazal Tov, who are you? <laughs> she says, you don't recognize me? He says, no. He's looking at this girl, a religious girl, a religious wedding. Everything was done. Everything was done to the highest standard. The kashrut has, you know, it's so kosher, has rabbi hairs in the food. It's like unbelievable, okay? I don't understand. She says, um, 
you probably don't recognize me like this because that's not what you, when, I, when you met me that one time, I didn't look like this. He says, what? She says, let me tell you what happened. I came from a religious family growing up, but I was a, a child that was very intelligent. I was very smart and I studied everything and I read everything to get my hands on. And the school I was in had teachers that they were very nice and they were very sweet, but they could not handle the questions and give me the answers that I needed to be able to give that, you know, that was sophisticated enough that could back up the science and the, you know, and explain uh, how everything worked together. And I basically fell out and slowly but surely I read more and more and eventually I realized this was not the life I wanted to lead. I left school, I went to university, I went to university abroad, she said, and I came back to the thing that I love the most, which is books. And I became a librarian. She said, but I never forgot my childhood. And all of a sudden this guy's here, sitting here with 17 books around him, and he's making Bekat Amazon. And he says, Shalom Evosh, and I'm, in my head, I was singing along like we used to sing it in school, right? Shalom Evosh, Shalom Kalem. Right? Shalom Evosh, just Shalom Evosh. And then you said those extra words, and I was like, what is that? I never heard that before. So I was curious. I came over, where, like, where did that come from? I didn't think much of it. I'm sure you didn't think much of it. She said, but in the time that passed in the library, I wound up meeting this secular, academic, uh, Arab guy who's been coming to the library every day. And we started talking about science and medicine and history and after a little while, we kind of started to, we started to become a thing. We started to go out, uh, and we fell in love. And the guy told me, you know, that's it. If, if this is going forward, let's just do this. I thought to myself, how could I marry an Arab guy in Israel? My family would be devastated. They'll be so upset. I can never do that. I can never do that to my parents, right in their face, marry out of the faith. But he sent me a long, impassioned letter telling me how much he loved me, how much it meant to, me, meant to him. And he suggested, he said, I know that it's hard for you to do that here, but maybe we'll go to America, and in America we could start a new life, and it's not going to be difficult, and you come with me. Are you willing to go? Yes or no? He says, but I can't wait much longer. My heart is being dragged out like this. Let me know if you're in or you're out. And he gave me a deadline. I was pulled in a thousand pieces. I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, I couldn't decide. On the one hand, I really did love him. On the other hand, you know, I, you know, I thought to myself to move to America, to raise a kind of family. It, Judaism is not, was not important to me. And I just felt that, you know what, anyway, I wasn't even sure if I believed that there was a God. I wasn't sure if I believed that he cared about us in this world. I wasn't sure that he had a hand in our lives. And I was deciding today was the deadline. On that day was the deadline. I came into work and sitting on my desk is a book. I didn't even look at the book. I saw there was a bookmark. I just opened the book and there circled in red ink were the words, Velo nikashel leolam va'ed, which means, and we shall not fall forever and ever. On the day that I had to make that decision, that book uh, appears. She said it was a long time after our conversation. But you found the book on the right day. You brought it on the right day. It was exactly when I needed and what I needed in that moment to give me the courage. 
And I thought to myself, what are the odds of this happening in this way? And I decided I need to study more about my Judaism from an adult level, from an academic level, before I reject it. Like we say, used to say in England, check it out before you chuck it out, okay? And if that is the case, slowly but surely I started learning it. In the process, I also met another Baal Teshuvah, and, and this is our wedding. And it's all possible because you sent a book with a bookmark. It probably didn't have a mask in it, but that's just our bookmarks <laughs> for today. All right? My friends, I think that there's something magnificent of, about understanding and living life with a constant presence of Hashem, of God in our lives, recognizing that Borei Olam is with us every single step of the way. But it's not just, and here's the bit that I love, it's not just that the guy found the book on that day. You got that? It's not just that he happened to come across the Sidur. On, it's not just he brought it on that day. Borei Olam had planned this from years and years and years before. When he decided to give an academic bibliophile, uh, a guy addicted to books, God put him as a son in the family that had the minhag to say those words. Magnificent. God put him in the city that had the library, that had that lady. Before this girl even decided to go off the derech, Borei Olam placed this boy in that family that has that nusach in Birkat Amazon, arranging everything so that in exactly the moment when she's ready to walk away, Le'olam Va'ed, uh, his nusach and his song out loud. What if he'd been embarrassed to sing Birkat Amazon out loud enough? What if he just kept his words quiet? In Shamaim, they would have asked him, you know what kind of arrangements we made for you to be there on that day? You know, and then you just, you, 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 you scan Birkat Amazon with your eyes. Rabotai, Bure Olam, his vision is not 2020. It's, I don't know what's better than 2020 because it's 100%, but it's better than 2020. It's El Elyon. Uh, and if you, if you uh, experience and you live life with that level of emunah, God in a commensurate way also shows you uh, that emunah and that hashkacha piratit uh, play out in your life from the day to day. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.